Finding an underserved niche in a market dominated by just a handful of companies is like capturing lightning in a bottle. In the mid-1990s, our guest Eric Malka and his wife Miriam did just that, elevating the daily shaving ritual by creating a prestige brand that defined the luxury space in the market. Eric and Miriam went all in from humble beginnings, raising capital by even selling their car to launch the Art of Shaving brand. Starting with a single storefront in New York City, the company grew to a full line of grooming products, including razors, moisturizers, and shaving creams. With sales rolling in from the expanding retail operations and upscale department stores, they caught the attention of Procter & Gamble, which bought the company in 2009. We'll talk with Eric about their passion for all-natural products that has led them to create a new wellness brand focused on what has been described as radical transparency. Aptly named Ingredients will discuss how this brand is now shaking up the personal care industry. Eric, welcome to our podcast series. Thanks for having me. As part of the introduction, I mentioned that you founded a few different brands, starting with The Art of Shaving back in 1996 and most recently with the release of Ingredients. Let's take a step back, though, and talk about the beginning of that journey back in uh, 1996 when you introduced The Art of Shaving. How did you come upon thinking that the shaving product category needed a luxury brand. Where did you see yourself in that space? Well, there was some coincidence involved with it. When I moved to New York City as a, in my, let's call it, late 20s, I just took a job. And it just so happened to be within the men's grooming industry selling products from England for a distributor in the United States. And my wife, who's my partner, and I discovered uh, these old uh, English brands that, you know, dated back to the 1800s, that really provided an amazing experience for me who didn't enjoy shaving, had discomfort with shaving. And I found that discovering these old accoutrements and creams really made a big difference in my daily routine. My wife, at the same time, was pursuing her passion for herbal medicine, aromatherapy, and other natural studies made me an oil, a botanical oil to apply before my shaving cream. And that really, all those things combined really triggered the idea to start a company to really reinvent that old English category. And because of our passion for natural wellness and ingredients, really, we created a brand of natural shaving products. So the, so, the brand name, the Art of shaving certainly sort of defined it, almost defined a luxury category that had been absent from the U.S. market. Yeah, we stumbled onto something pretty extraordinary. I mean, my wife was 22, I was 28, so we didn't know much about anything in general, but mm. we sold our car and opened a tiny little store on the Upper East Side, and soon after realized that we had stumbled onto a unique category because shaving was just not to the premium consumer. It was a category of activities that men did every day. Everyone did it, but whether you were an affluent consumer or a mass market consumer, you were just buying your shaving products in a drugstore mass environment. So there was a really white space that everyone had overlooked, really. It does seem that way. And it wasn't just the brand and selling products, and uh, you know, and, and you and I spoke about this earlier. You packaged it in such a way where it was really 
attractive. It showed luxury. It was a premium brand. So everything about it certainly sort of redefined defined a category for this particular product. And eventually you actually opened up shops and stores around the country. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to my wife. She has impeccable taste and she really designed the whole look and feel of the brand, uh, the art of shaving. And really, as I said, we were young and naive, which was probably our greatest asset. Usually uh-huh. it could be a liability, but in our case, we had good instincts and we really broke all the rules of the game unknowingly and that became really the secret to our success. Had we known better, we would have probably launched a simple shaving cream in a tube and a plastic razor you can throw in your gym bag. Instead, we went the long way (laughs) and created a regiment with glass bottles and brushes and four steps and beautiful shops where you can actually get shaves and so forth. So the opposite of what consumer focus groups would have told us to do. Really, my frustration with the industry that I was in was that retailers were really not paying attention to men. And so we said, you know, there's no distribution channel for this product line. Let's create one. And back then there was no internet yet. So direct to consumer meant opening stores. So we started doing that. And starting with our first store on Lexington Avenue and 62nd Street and immediately thereafter on Madison Avenue, which gave us a lot of visibility and eventually built, you know, 50 some stores before we sold the company. So it was 1996, you start the company. By 2009, you sold the company to Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. And what I found interesting in a little bit of research that I did was that was also the year that you actually trademarked the name Ingredients which is now your current <laughs> yeah. brand. And so what was That's it back true. then That's that true. you that you actually saw in that name back in 2009 that brought you forward to what you've recently launched? It's just the process my wife and I work with. We're obsessed with ingredients in our lives since we met. I think that was really a common bond that we both had from our first date is mm-hmm. we were both drawn to natural health and wellness and really were careful about what we put into our body. When we started The Art of Shaving, we became obsessed with what ingredients we put into our products. And we started this whole craze of clean beauty, really. Mm. It wasn't called that at the time, but really we had our blacklist. There were all these ingredients we were never gonna put in our products, and we wanted to make sure that what touched our customer's skin was going to be healthy and not synthetic and poisonous for the body. So by the time we finished with ingredients, we were quite frustrated that our core philosophy that really was the magic, the intangible magic behind the art of shaving, the the natural ingredients and the formulation was part of an industry that really didn't care about the toxic ingredients that went into most products out there and ingredient lists that were just written. You know this from being in the printing packaging business that how small a font can we legally use to put our ingredient list on the back of the box? Right, right. So that became a true motivator for us. And with financial freedom, we were able to really say, what do we really want to do? You know, how are we really going to impact uh, society? How can we cause a shift in this society based on what we've learned over the last 20 years and the expertise we developed? 
And the name ingredient just came up. We said, you know, we're obsessed with ingredients. We should trademark that name and bring ingredients out of obscurity and into the front of the label. My wife started developing her formulation style of using as few ingredients as possible. You know, one ingredient in the product is our ideal goal. So eight is the maximum with our brand. And again, every time I file a trademark, whether it's the art of shaving or ingredients, my lawyers always say, you're not going to get it. Too descriptive. (laughs) (laughs) So we were really lucky. This is a word that is quite used. Yeah, absolutely. But not in the context of a brand that is highly focused on ingredients and really wants to educate consumers to refocus on what's inside the bottle, what they're actually consuming. You know, one of the things that I see in the brand, and the industry has now begun to use the term, right, clean beauty, but your brand has really amplified that definition to the personal care industry. You know, clean means 100%, right? It's not not just we take a couple of ingredients out and we call ourselves clean. You've really taken it to a whole different level. Oh, absolutely. We were actually motivated by the clean beauty trend. We saw that consumers were becoming more and more conscious about, you know, ingredients and transparency and safety. But brands were just flirting with the issues to satisfy consumers and really calling products clean that were not really clean. They're cleaner than the category as a whole, but still loaded with petrochemicals. Right. Every product out there, pretty much, with rare exceptions, when it's an oil blend, are loaded with petrochemicals, which is extremely harmful to our health and to our planet, really. One of the things that I saw in the packaging, and I think this is really emblematic of what the brand is all about, is that you put the ingredients front and center on the principal display panel. And so when we look at that on a retail shelf, as an example... We see all the ingredients listed and your brand front and center, right on the top, ingredients and a list. And you actually come up with 100% of all ingredients. And I think somebody called it radical transparency. Yeah, we wanted to go full on transparency, not only to expose, look, there are thousands of ingredients we wouldn't put in our products, Mm. too many to name. And we find it very disingenuous for companies to say, we don't put that ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient, you know, we don't put parabens. Okay, that's nice that you don't put these four ingredients into your products, but there are thousands of ingredients we don't put in our products. Why don't we just tell you what we're putting into this? I think the consumer has a right to know exactly what they're getting. And by exposing our formula, we're not only being radically transparent, we're also exposing everything. Everyone else's formula, as you know, being in this industry for a long time, formulation is just a pink elephant in the room. It's something we never, ever talk about. Right. It's exactly what we sell because most of the formulas are the same. You know, Mm. it's like the shoe factories in Italy. You know, they make shoes for Prada and for the brand that sells for a fifth the price. Cosmetic is the same thing. All the formulas, all the bases are the same. You have some differences, you know, maybe two to three percent of the formula varies from brand to brand in each product category. So they really don't speak of the formula or they speak of hero ingredients or marketing claims that don't really translate to the ingredient in the product. So, you know, we're just fed up. I'll tell you, honestly, Hmm. this brand is less about making money as it is to say to the industry, enough is enough. It's time for change. It's time to be doing the right thing. It's really time to come clean with the consumer, if you will. Right. 
being a small company, I mean, you're up against some big multinationals in the spaces that you're in. And then so you've got to sort of wrestle some space away. But what was interesting was how many articles I read and how, how much of the beauty news industry really embraced it and saw this as a true change, a shift, if you will. A shift. Yeah, that's been the word used. And we love that word because that was the purpose of this brand is to cause a shift in our society mm. and really educate consumer on this invisible poison in our lives called petrochemicals. Right. You know, they have, they are pervasive. They are everywhere. You know, 20% of fossil fuels are used for petrochemicals. And those petrochemicals are used for making mattresses, spraying, furniture, mm. fire retardants, food additives, preservation products, fragrance. On average, a person is in contact with 500 or more toxic chemicals on a daily basis. And in small doses, they will not hurt you. But over 20 years, trust me, it's not good. Right. It's that compounding effect. The more you take over time. So maybe in small doses, but small doses add up. They add up and people are sick and they don't know why. So, you know, that's really our crusade. And with the advent, you know, we're now seeing that five years down the line, electric vehicles are going to take over. And that means that fossil fuel going towards transportation is going to reduce. And the plan for the industry is to shift that to petrochemicals, which means the less fossil fuels we use for cars, the more they're going to make their ways into our home, into our personal care products, and to other areas that directly affect us. So, you know, when you're driving a car, you don't have that direct health impact as if you were to spray perfume on yourself made from petrochemicals, which most of them, all of them are. So really, that's really our crusade. And when we were developing this, we said, we don't care. We have no one to account to except ourselves and the consumer. One thing we do know about bigger companies is they have a lot of resources, but they can't move fast. We're nimble. Right. We're able to do things that they will take 10 or 20 years to do. We can do those things in six months. So we have a real edge when we're competing with the mammoth. So we're not afraid of that. Let's talk a little bit, if we could, about the timing of the release of the product. Now, you mentioned it was <laughs> early 2021. You're laughing because it, we're, we're talking about releasing a product into a pandemic and getting retailers to take the product on. And obviously people are typically, they're buying online. So what was it like to release the product in sort of like the middle of a pandemic? Well, on one hand, the timing couldn't have been better because wellness is at the forefront of about 8 billion people on earth for the first time in history. You know, it just shot up to the top of the chart. So being a wellness focused brand is, from a timing perspective, is ideal. Of course, retail brick and mortar has been affected by the closures, but this is one of the most successful brands I've launched in my career, and it's in the middle of a pandemic. I can't imagine what it would have been like had we launched it in normal economic environment, but we couldn't be happier. I mean, we're not only successful in the U.S., but we're attracting some of the biggest distributors around the world we're talking to. Just everybody wants, seems to want to speak to us right now. So it's very exciting that we're being embraced in the way that we are. And we're feeling like the industry is looking at us as the next big thing. And that's very exciting. 
we just have to, you know, materialize that and be patient. So it's kind of cool. What I love hearing in your voice and the way you describe things is how passionate you are about the underlying message that you want to bring to people is that there's an alternative to putting petrochemicals and things that truly aren't good for you, even though they're allowed in the product, maybe there's a better way. Based on your experience in working with some smaller brands and making some investments, what advice do you have for budding entrepreneurs? Well, there's so many advice. I mean, so many lessons learned over the course of my career. You know, one thing that we always hear about to entrepreneurs is do something you're passionate about. Do something unique. R&D doesn't mean research and duplicate. It means something else. You know, I think purpose-driven is the new entrepreneurial mindset. Mm. And, you know, maybe in the 80s and 90s, it was deal-making. Today, it's really living your purpose uh, through the eyes of your business. If you're passionate about babies, start a healthy baby company. And I'm very proud of one thing is that we've always tried to do well by doing good. I cannot sleep well at night knowing that I'm selling something unhealthy to make money. I need to make sure I'm promoting health and wellness out there in any way I can. Right. So those are some of the advice that I would give to people. I think so many, you know, I coach and mentor many entrepreneurs mm. and there's so many lessons. I think your focus though on being purpose-driven is something I hear from lots of people I interview. I, I think you're spot on with that and following your passion and doing the things that you really love. My next question for you is, and this is what I ask of everyone on every interview, what one word describes who you are? I would say resilient, maybe. Resilient, uh, okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. You have to be to be an entrepreneur, right? I mean, I love the story that you actually you ended up financing your first venture in our shaving by selling your car. So you, you certainly had to have some level of resilience taking it upon yourself to put your money out there and stand behind your company. Yeah, resilience is key. I think it's something that younger generations are losing rapidly. Huh. <laughs> yeah. The greatest generation had loads of it and it trickled down all the way to the Gen Zs. And that's the key factor. You know, I'm not the smartest guy. I didn't go to Ivy League. I don't have rich parents. I don't have any superpowers. I'm just the most resilient guy out there. Mm. failure is not an option you know safety net right so you have to be able to struggle through and make it work make it happen there's no choice when you have no choice resilience is almost like a default setting right very well put Eric thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast series I really appreciate your insights thank you so much for having me man appreciate it as Eric described he and his wife's greatest asset was being young and naive but with good instincts. It was their desire to improve the unpleasant task of shaving that enlisted Miriam's nascent ability to use botanical oils and develop a pre-shave emollient. Eric experienced shaving without discomfort, and they immediately recognized the potential to create something new. And although the industry was dominated by a few mass market companies, they successfully focused on a segment looking for a premium product to enhance the shaving experience. With Ingredients, their newest brand, the idea was sown years ago and emerged when Eric and Miriam saw the market was slow in removing undesirable ingredients from their formulations and lacked the transparency for consumers to make informed decisions about the products they used. In both cases, they were able to recognize 
that what was missing in each market and use their passion and skills to develop products that would fill the void. As Eric observed, being purpose-driven is the new entrepreneurial mindset. Follow your passion and find purpose in what you do. And finally, recognize that everyone struggles. Starting a business is not easy and you'll need to be resilient to succeed. We thank Eric for sharing his experiences and insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Director of Professional Enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talatia and Paulina Lamanier for all their support. Until next time.